God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints, and to be had in reverence of all them that are about Him. The famous words of Psalm 89, verse number 7. The honor and the majesty that is so richly deserved by God certainly prompts each of us this morning to be thankful for the privilege it's ours to assemble. Certainly as we have done so in the character of health that we each enjoy, the disposition of heart and mind helps us even this day to understand that our worship to God not only will magnify His name, but certainly, hopefully, will also encourage us as well. There is perhaps one additional thought that we might make relative to one of those announcements that Brother Gary shared with us earlier. As we think about those who have suffered sickness and those who've lost loved ones, might we also keep in mind the Burchett family in that. Brother Johnny Stafford passed away. Uh, certainly, uh, that's Cale's grandfather. His funeral, I believe, is this afternoon. So let's keep that family also in, in, in our prayers at this time. Despising the valuable. We each have been in a position to appreciate and recognize that in life there are things that are more valuable than there are at other positions and at times in life. Some things are worth more than other things. In fact, one of the things that we as parents hopefully try to instill in our children is to learn to estimate and to value properly those things that are of great worth and value, to take care of them, to cherish them, and to recognize the great blessing that comes along with them. By the same token, each of us, I'm sure, are greatly bothered by individuals that we know who seemingly do not value that which is valuable. They treat it lightly. They, in fact, run roughshod over it. They give it little attention. They treat it as if it's nothing, when after all, it is so very valuable and it is so greatly of worth. The title of the lesson this morning is Despising the Valuable. The Word of God, in fact, prompts us in that same way relative to our thinking, namely, that it encourages us to rightly value to properly estimate, and to look in rightful ways upon the value and worth of items and things. Today, as we come to give thought to that, we not only shall find that it is an issue of modern curiosity, but also it's one of ancient difficulty as well. In fact, I would invite us to begin the lesson that way, doing so by revisiting the ancient days of old in Genesis, the 25th chapter. As we set the stage by reminding ourselves of some of the matters that took place in that ancient saga of the long ago, we'll be reminded that the consequences of it are just as vital, just as needful, and in fact, just as sad today as they were then. The scene before us on that occasion was this one. We well recall that Abraham had a son of promise. His name was Isaac. And Isaac, of course, initially found the woman whom he loved. Her name was Rebekah. They married. But as we will remember, at first, Rebekah was barren. She was unable to bear any children. In fact, for 20 long years they were married, and yet no fruit of the womb had come forth from her. Isaac besought God on her behalf, and God heard that prayer. As he did so, he blessed Rebekah, and she brought forth upon the character of conception, in fact, brought forth twins. We well recall that even prior to their birth, she had inquired of the Lord because they struggled within her womb. God on that occasion said to her, Two nations shall come from thee, and amazingly enough, the elder shall serve the younger. 
the time came for her to deliver, and sure enough, it was twins. And the first came out, and he was red and hairy, and they called him Esau. However, the hand of the, uh, of the younger one clasped on to the heel of Esau, and out came Jacob as well, as they named him. And we might remember and keep in mind that interesting saga that these two boys, as they grew up, were very different Esau seems to have been an outdoors man. He loved dwelling in tents. He found it exciting, interesting to pursue the hunt, if you please. However, Jacob was a plain man, the text says. It seems as if he enjoyed the indoors a bit more. But this much we surely know. Jacob's favorite was Esau, and Rebekah's favorite was Jacob. In the verses that follow, we notice a number of years had passed, and from the field one day Esau came in. The text simply says that he had been in the field. And as he had been there, perhaps he was hunting, perhaps he was working, the text doesn't say. But we do know this, that when he came in, it says he was exhausted, he was hungry, and furthermore, he was famished. At that particular time, Jacob was a preparing pottage, the text informs us, it says he boiled or sod pottage. And as he cooked this bean soup, if you please, we notice, interestingly, that Esau was beside himself and he said, Give me of it. The response is so very intriguing. Jacob simply said this, Sell me thy birthright. At this point, Esau had a decision to make. The decision as to, in fact, maintain the birthright, which was his as the firstborn, or to sell it for some bean soup. We notice that he chose to sell it because he reasoned as follows, and I would invite you to read with me the statement that came from the lips of Esau on that occasion. Verse number 32, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? He proceeded to conclude that he was at the point of death. He was sufficiently hungry that he in fact stated it in that fashion. But he said, then what is this birthright to me? What good will it do me? And for that reason, in the verses that follow, he sold the birthright to Jacob. At that point, you might notice near the bottom of that slide, a number of the features and a number of the thoughts about his selling of that birthright. First of all, it forfeited so many of the ideas that would have been so treasured and cherished by at least most eldest sons in a family. The leadership, the integrity that went along with the birthright, all of the family name that went with it, the character of what it stood for, and yet he sold it on this occasion for some soup. As you give thought to it, might we not quickly affirm that there seems to have been such shallowness it seems as if there was such foolishness and folly, such irresponsibility to have lightly treated that birthright. The characteristic of Esau displayed on that occasion, doesn't it remind us of the kind of person that perhaps would come to our mind? He simply despised what was valuable. He didn't look upon it with the integrity that it engendered. He didn't look upon it with the character of what ought to have been the case. And later on, the Hebrew writer will say in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, that Esau, though he sought it carefully with tears, found no place of repentance. The foolishness and folly of what he did that day could not be undone. Once he had sold it, 
And later on, remember, he was also supplanted by the nature of the last family blessing. But Esau had lost it all. I wonder what might be some lessons for you and me today about despising what's valuable about looking too commonly upon what is uncommonly valuable. It is with those thoughts in mind, I would invite us to think about some of these things. You and I notice that we have been mightily blessed in so many ways. And in fact, the actual character of life is such that it hearkens us to consider powerfully the nature of the blessings about us. I wonder how it would look upon us if we despised what was so valuable in our lives. Let's take a journey over the next few moments and give some thought to these characteristics in modern times that help us also see the great value of the things that come our way. The blessings that God has afforded us take us first to the Son of God. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift the famous words of 2 Corinthians 9.15. The Bible reminds us so powerfully that you and I in sin are lost and undone. And as such, we forfeit all opportunity for the grandeur of heaven because we are in the fellowship with the devil. After all, it says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And does it not say three chapters to the verse later for our then the nature of the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, sin inevitably brings forth death, separation from God, removal from Him, the character of being distanced from His love, mercy, and grace. In Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2, we gain a glimpse of the terror and horrible character that goes along with sin. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and have hid his face from you that he will not hear. When you and I thus participate in sin, when we give in to the character of temptation, when we do that which God has commanded us not to do, or when we fail to do that which he has commanded us to do, we become guilty of sin, and as such, we are distanced from His love. In that state, think about the horror that goes with it. Because in sin, what shall happen to those on the day of judgment? If that sin remains, if it isn't forgiven, if it isn't remitted, if it isn't removed, then there is but only one destination, that eternity apart from God in a place called hell. But on the other hand, right into the picture comes this, God's unspeakable gift. May we never devalue it. May we never, in fact, run roughshod over the greatness of Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do we believe that? If so, may we never despise what's valuable but always lift high the banner of Christ, understanding that He was God in the flesh, Matthew 1.23, and He in fact sets before us the only way to heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life, He said. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me, John 14.6. Just a few of the verses that challenge us to think so carefully about Jesus and the blessing of what happened when He came to this planet. 
But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It may be that you and I have known some pretty special people in this world, pretty good people, but there isn't a one of them that was worth a single drop of the blood of Christ. Jesus was sinless. He was pure. He was God in the flesh and of His own choice. He died for you and for me. He went to Calvary's cross, knowing full well the agony and anguish and pain that would accompany it. But He nonetheless went there anyway because He loved all of us. He could have called legions of angels to have extricated Him from the terror of that moment. He chose to endure every moment of it. He wouldn't even take any of the numbing agents to drink. All the pain He felt. All of the sorrow He knew. The weight of sin He understood. And He was there for me, Randy Bybee. And He was there for you. Oh, what a gift you and I have been given. And yet to think that there are those in the world who turn a light mind to Christ, who somehow think that what He did at the cross or the fact that He came was a light matter, just another of many other events in the history of the world, that moment stood alone and shall never be duplicated or equaled. Christ died one time, Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. And as He died that one time, He was that one time perfect sacrifice for sins forever, Hebrews 10, verse 12. Because of that, you and I can be blessed to assemble in His name today, and we can wear His name today as Christians, 1 Peter 4, 16. The blessing of that should always fill our hearts and minds. One other verse you'll notice in that listing is that text in Galatians 4, verse number 4. On that occasion, giving us a pristine view of the greatness of His coming, it says, but in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law. The fullness of time had arrived, and it says God sent. Though Jesus was a member of the Godhead, He was sent by the Father, and into the world He came. And He came because He loved us. He came because He wished to lay down His life for all of us, John 10, verses 17 and 18. As we give thought then, think about some of the ways that Jesus is despised today. There are those who have little interest in the worship that He approves. There are those who have little interest in the plan of salvation He instituted. There are those that seemingly have little interest in living daily for Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11. But what a shame, because the time will come when they each will stand before the very one whom they've despised, and what will they be able to say then? Jesus, I didn't care. Jesus, I didn't think. We may not know exactly how He'll respond, but one thing will be this. To those whom He's never known, He'll say, I never knew you. To those who He's known at one time, He'll say, I knew you once. But the frightfulness and the horror of that moment remind us that then they'll understand what Esau perhaps never did. They will know they've despised what was of utmost value. May we be wiser than that. And may we strive daily to ever lift high the banner of the captain of our salvation, Hebrews 2 verse 10, and follow him all the way to glory, Revelation 14 4. But perhaps secondly, might we notice, what about His body? 
It too is something that is so highly cherished and prized in the sacred scriptures. Lifted up as the one and only organization spiritually that God has ever fashioned and made. Think about the ways that it too is lifted so high. In Ephesians the third chapter beginning in verse number 10. We read on that occasion, "...to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God." That's verse number 10. Verse 11 goes on to say, "...according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord." We learn from that passage, especially verse 10, the following truth, that when the world sees the church, they see the manifold wisdom of God. You and I, my friend, as Christians, we broadcast to the world God's wisdom, His mercy, His grace, and His majesty. And if they don't see it in us, they don't see it at all. They can appreciate the handiwork of His physical creation, but there's something uniquely special and prized about the church. What do they see when they see you and me? Do we live beneath our privileges from time to time and perhaps put in the mind of others a lesser evaluation of the church than we should? Our Savior, we read in Acts 20, 28, when Paul addressed those elders of the church in Ephesus, he said, "'Take heed to yourselves and to the church over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which He hath purchased with His own blood.'" There is but one institution that Christ's blood purchased, and it's the church. He didn't purchase civil government with His blood. He didn't even purchase marriage with His blood. He purchased the church with His blood, though. No wonder we should have a great high esteem for the nature of its church. As we think about the Pippin congregation, other faithful congregations, how special ought to be our thinking. Some of these verses also come to mind as you give thought with me to the nature of this church. Colossians 1 verse 18 reads it like this. Speaking of Christ, He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. The preeminence thus belongs to Christ as it relates to His relationship to the church. Question, isn't it thus a tragedy when there is a despising of that which is so valuable. There are those in our world who frankly will admit the church is not that important. They'll frankly confess to you it doesn't matter whether or not you're a member of the church. Shame on them. They haven't studied the New Testament sufficiently. In Ephesians 5.23 we read that Jesus is the Savior of the body. Logic thus leads us to ask this, if one isn't in the body, then one won't be saved. But the body is the church, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, and there's only one of them, Ephesians 4, verse 4. That body means thus the fact it's unique, the fact there is truly one of a kind. Doesn't it remind us that we must never despise it? We should lift high the banner of its services, lift high the nature of its organization and government, we at Pippin, of course, strive to do so, but may we daily choose to live in a way that again helps others appreciate what a sorrowful sin it is to devalue what is so valuable, the church. What about a third thing that's so very valuable? Something else that comes to our thinking as well. 
perhaps we knew that we would arrive at this point at some point in the lesson, that holy Bible that perhaps is resting in your lap, that Bible that serves as our guide, the Holy Scriptures truly also, like these other matters we've described, is unique. There's no other book like it. It is truly that set of instructions that lead us from this place to heaven, that set of instructions that tell us how to live here and allow us to prepare ourselves, of course, for eternal life hereafter. Some of the verses that help us see just how truly special, how truly valuable it is might well be these. I invite you to begin with me in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah 15, 16, that noble prophet of old said, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. Jeremiah had arrived at the point that he understood the preciousness of the word, and he says he had ingested it. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. So precious were they to Jeremiah that he used them as he taught and preached and lived. But might not it be so for us as well? In Psalm 119, verse number 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. If it is our charge and desire to keep sin at bay, to properly deal with temptation, to overwhelm and overcome them, and ultimately not follow the pursuits of Satan, the way to do it is by following the instructions of the sacred text. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. We also notice in Psalm 119, verse 97, O how love I thy law, it is my meditation all the day. In terms of our youth, we keep in mind the careful thought that's ours as parents. Because after all, Psalm 119, verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How shall a young person cleanse his or her heart? The answer later in that same verse, By taking heed thereto according to thy word. May each of us thus lift high the nature of the Scriptures, not only living them ourselves, but hopefully helping others by way of example and teaching that they too might know the power and the uniqueness of the Word of God. You can also see some of the later verses. Acts chapter 20, verse number 32. That comes from that same passage we noted just a moment ago. As Paul addressed the elders of the church in Ephesus, it was to them that he had said that the church was purchased with the blood of Christ. But then in verse 32, in one final comment, he had this to say to them. And I would ask each of us to think about it as well. As he encouraged them, in light of the difficulties that were going to come to the church in Ephesus, in light of the problems they would face, there was one word he had. Brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. To those elders, he said, you stay true to the Word. It is able to build you up. It is able to give you direction and guidance. It is the one and only thing to which you should give commendation. Today, may we be just as wise as they were encouraged to be, striving always to look at the Bible with respect. You and I live in a world when so often the Bible is not respected much anymore. There are those who will trample over it, view it as equal to some of the writings of men, look upon it as if it's simply to be taken or left, all the while thinking that they are doing what's okay. 
But we know that God simply doesn't tolerate that. In 2 Thessalonians 1, in fact, in light of that, He says this, "...to you who are troubled, rest with us." When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. We notice that those who do not obey, those who in fact do not subscribe to the truth that God has set forth, notice will be the recipients of eternal wrath and punishment. What a fearful and frightening thing to consider. Ought we not then not greatly value the Bible? But perhaps another item. Beyond that, the nature of exactly what is the character of a person. The human being. We each know that we're blessed with individuals whom we love and cherish, like parents, like our wife, our husband, our children. And as we look upon them, we truly brighten as we give thought to the nature of what they mean to us. But might we spend just a moment and reflect upon the nature of what is a human being? Because frankly, we live in a world where so often the news tells us this, magazines tell us this, school books tell us this, that we simply are glorified animals. We're just some kind of an ape, the hair of which mostly has fallen off. Our brain has grown to be a little bit larger, and we're able to stand upright on two feet. That is nonsense of the highest order. We are as far removed from an ape as imaginable. We are not simply animals, but rather the Scriptures tell us we are made in the image of God, Genesis 1.26. And furthermore, we are made in His likeness, Genesis 5 verse 1. As such, we bear an attribute of exactly the character of God. Now, we don't look like Him physically because God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth, John 4, 24. Furthermore, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones, Luke 24, 39. We do know, though, that God is a spirit. You and I are spirits as well. There is a portion that which really is you and me. It will never die. Once it came into being, prompted by the very creative act of God, He gave us the Spirit that's us, Zechariah 12, 1. Is not God the Father of our spirits, Hebrews 12, verse 9? As we give thought to the nature then that you and I are immortal spirits, the time may come when we shall leave this flesh in that avenue we term death. But that's just a separation of the body and the spirit, James 2.26. That spirit is as alive as it ever was. It's just that it dwells elsewhere. Not here on earth, but somewhere else in that realm we call the Hadean One, awaiting for the return of our Savior. You see, as we give thought then to the nature of that spirit, doesn't it give us a grand hope of the grandest reunion of all some sweet day? When we arrive at that place of heaven and we're able to see all the faithful of all the ages and appreciate that in the character of that some of the most notable worthies of all the Bible will there be seen. Those like Abraham and Moses, those like Enoch and Elijah, those like John the Baptist and others. Our mind will overwhelm with joy as we give thought to the greatness of the reunion of that day. The nature of that Spirit thus tells us 
that in this life we must safeguard the flesh, but appreciate that it's that spirit that is us. As we understand that point, then much of the rest of the Bible as it relates to that teaching will certainly be clearer. There at the bottom you can see that some of those teachings about the Spirit prompt us to the eternal nature we see in the book of Matthew. Truly, eternal punishment awaits those that are unfaithful, but eternal life awaits those that are. Maybe one final thought, and the lesson then will be yours today. As we give thought to what's so valuable, as we give thought to what in fact is before us in that way, it brings us to this thought of Esau. He made a colossal blunder. He sold his birthright for some bean soup. And as he did so, he forevermore becomes an example of those who despised what was so valuable. But today, you and I too have been given some things so very valuable. Jesus, the Son of God, the greatest gift of all. The character of the Spirit that is you and me. The nature of the church for which Christ died. All these things are of such tremendous worth. Do we estimate them as we should? Do we encourage others to do the same? Today, if you and I, upon careful thought, recognize that we have made a similar mistake to what Esau did, but perhaps even far more serious. Because admittedly, for him to treat his birthright so lowly is still less of a crime than for us to treat the church so lowly, or to treat Jesus so lowly, or to treat the attribute of the Spirit so lowly. If you need to come to Christ today, maybe you're one who has never responded initially to the call of the gospel. Today would be an ideal day, this 11th day of March, 2012. If we could help you today in your response to the gospel, that gospel teaches us this. You need to believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, John 8, 24. You must repent of your sins in the words of Luke 13, 3. Furthermore, confess Jesus to be the Son of God, that lovely thing that falls from your lips. After all, Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 tell us about the requirement of that confession. And then to be baptized for the remission of your sins, Acts 2.38. Today, if we could be of assistance to you in the accomplishment of that, it would be our privilege. If you have become a Christian, but you have lost your way, you have come to the point that you have devalued what was so valuable. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Luke 19.10 perhaps is the one we'll use to make this final invitation. If you have begun to walk unfaithfully, come back to your first love today. Put Christ back on the valued position of your heart and life. Esteem Him as the Son of God. Lift Him high as in fact the one through whom you can be saved and all that He stands for and all that He teaches. If today we could pray on your behalf for forgiveness of sins, We'd be honored to do that as well. And if we could be of assistance to you, would you not let it be known while together we stand and while we sing?